Everything changes in today's marketplace. Technology, competition, staff, and even clients. Everyone is doing business differently than they once did. The challenge many face is keeping up with the change. Welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty with your host, Meredith Elliott Powell. By learning from the insights and expertise of guests like those you'll hear today, you can thrive in ways you never thought possible. Now, here is Meredith Elliott Powell. Welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how the marketplace changes and what this economy does. I'm Meredith Elliott-Powell, your host, and I am really excited about today's guest and our topic, Transforming Exhausted Leaders into exceptional leaders. We are going to talk about how you move performance and leadership to the next level in an on-demand world where an abundance of expectations, information, and distractions are unrelentingly pulling on us. And our guest today is the infamous Sarah Ross. She is the founder and chief vitality officer at Brain Amped a leadership and strategy firm dedicated to redefining how we succeed at work and thrive in life. And look, she really has the experience in this industry. She has worked with Fortune 500 companies such as United Health Group, Verizon, Rogers, and Allstate, tech companies such as Adobe, Wave, and financial firms such as Fidelity, BMO, and some pharmaceutical companies as well. And I've got to tell you that she has a master's of science, a graduate degree, but outside of work, she is a coffee-loving meditation rookie, and I join you in that. I keep trying to um, to get better at that, who can't help but slip in the into the occasional Canadian A. You will hear her Canadian accent um, today as I've been talking to her um, a little bit beforehand. But really, what you feel like you you have Sarah is a seat at the um, at kind of the fountain of life of really watching people and their behavior. So, welcome to the show, and I am super excited about this subject. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. You know, the um, it seems like everywhere I go um, these days. People seem to be interested in, curious about, or talking about uh, the brain. I mean, it's this whole idea that we have not even begun to crack the code of what what our brains can do and the power of um, of our mind. Are you seeing that as well? Absolutely, and you know, I, I think I think you just hit on something so interesting because people are interested in the brain, but I think the reason is is that it helps people recognize that when they do things that confuse them or frustrate them, or they see other people doing things that they're like, why, (laughs) why would a logical person do that? It actually, instead of getting just frustrated at the situation, it helps people recognize the reason behind the behavior that we see. And it's rarely a lack of character. It's more of emotions and challenge and how our brain's processing that situation. So I think it just allows us to depersonalize a little bit of what we experience, but then recognize like if we really understand this stuff and we understand how our brain works, especially under stress and pressure, then we can do things a little bit differently in the future. So it gives the people a little bit of hope, I think, also, along with strategy. I, 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 think, that's a, I think that's a great way. Um, I think that's a great way to look at it. So let's talk about you for a moment. Yeah. So were you the five-year-old kid who was running around just curious about everything? Or what was your path to get here? 
So we haven't even talked about this, and I, and I have to laugh because I, I have told this story a couple of different times. So yes, I will. Uh, my, my family would have said or actually have told me that the first words that I shared were no way. And then why? So, so there's this, like, if you think about that, there's this stubbornness to not be told of how, like told how things are supposed to go, but a curiosity of why. And, and the story my mom used to tell, which I can tell you is completely true. When we were very young, I've always been interested and I love reading and, and she would take myself and my childhood best friend to the mall and we would go to the bookstore. And so my mom would be looking at books and my best friend would be looking at the, the magazines and all the pop magazines. And then my mom would be like, where's Sarah? And I am not joking, like from a very young age, I would be in the self-help section because I just <laughs> thought it was so interesting. And my parents used to be slightly embarrassed that it's like I'd carry around, around self-help books, but I've always been interested in, and I've always distilled it this way, in why people do what they do and why we don't always do what we know we should. Like that piece has always intrigued me. So, yep, I am pretty much that five-year-old who ran around <laughs> continuously curious about people. Well, but it sounds like though, then you found the way to build the bridge because when we think about, um, I can understand why your parents might have been a little bit um, embarrassed. Some of those, <laughs> some of those self-help books can be um, can be a little out there, but you seem to have built the bridge then that brought it into the professional uh, world. Because I think this is really fascinating. You know, I'm old enough that I grew up that business and personal were separate things. You know, everything going on in your personal life could be a mess, but people believed you could still be good at work and not really understanding the the connection of the two. So what, um, you know, where along your journey did you start to see the, the marriage of those two together? Right. So that's an, that's an interesting question because, again, I, I think there's been a part of me that's always known that there was a connection. So I am uh, a researcher at heart. So through school, I have always been focused on the sciences simply because I do appreciate knowing the reason why things are happening. Like, so when things are grounded in, in, in science, I find that interesting. And yet, that can be a little bit confining, if, if that makes sense. And yeah. so I think where it really came true for me is when I was in graduate school, I loved the research that I was doing and I was really passionate about it. I also knew it wasn't going to be what I would do forever. And and yet what I spent most of my time doing was actually working with other people and the other students and trying to help them like finish finish their graduate degree and, and write their thesis instead of procrastinating and face the fears of of what's challenging them about going out in the world and, and get some clarity on that. And so I would I would literally go into my lab and do my work like at 6 a.m. in the morning and run some of my experiments. And then I would take the middle of the day and it was like I'd open my coaching doors and, and I'd work with people and I designed workshops and I designed workshops throughout school for people to get along better, for research uh, groups to communicate more effectively. And then I went into sales because I just had this belief that everyone should have a sales job at some point to truly understand human behavior. It just shows up in that environment so clearly, (laughs) and um, (laughs) which we could talk about. But I I also had a, a really fantastic manager who recognized that I kept trying to help people be more effective at their job. And and he kind of said to me, 
you've got a great a, a great opportunity in this sales track and I think you're swimming against the stream. Like the, you can go and actually help people be more effective and use the science to push people who right now don't recognize that there's a connection between those. So I will forever, forever kind of really uh, appreciate the leadership in that. And, and I grew up with a family who also always said, like, if there isn't a path, make a path. And, and so it gave me the opportunity to start doing that. We know. So, so you're bringing up something interesting right now. I mean, you know, when it comes to our minds and our beliefs, we have the little stuff that's going on in our own head, but it's also the outside forces that you have, you know, whether, I mean, you happen to be in two very, you know, supportive um, environments, but how does the play, you know, with that as you, you know, because I want to get into you beginning to work with, um, with leaders, but when it comes right. to mindset, is there is it more important for the voice in your own head? Is it more important mm-hmm. for the environment you're in, or how does how do those two stack up? Hmm. That is a, I think that's a fantastic question, and I think it is one that has that is so context dependent. Mm-hmm. I know when you look, and so I default to the research first, and then I look at what I have seen in my research with leaders from a coaching perspective, from a research perspective, and then just every day. So when you even look at the research around resilience, when they look at people who are very resilient or who have grown after adversity and, and traumatic, challenging events, not in the moment, but but they've actually hold meaning from these incredibly challenging situations. There is a specific mindset piece that is differentiating with the most resilient people. And that mindset is they believe that in any given situation, they have a choice. They have a choice to either change the situation. And when that can't be changed, they can choose how they are going to respond to that situation or in essence, how that situation is going to influence them. So I think that at the end of the day, there's, there is a fundamental mindset piece that we actually have the most control over. With that being said, we can't negate external pressures. So right. when we are in a very, very tough environment, some people more naturally have this ability to tap in and say, oh, have a more resilient approach. But we also know that resilience, for example, emotional intelligence, something else that I've studied for many years, are, are skills that can be learned. But if you've never seen them, it might be harder to tap into those naturally. And so I think that we can't negate that the environment we're in can really influence us. And I see that in companies all all the time. I think the best example is for anyone who has gotten a new role and gone into a new role and been really excited. You also know that sometimes you are faced with people who want to to tap down, tamp down that excitement a little bit. Like, okay, I know you've got good ideas, but that's just not how we do it here. And so you, you, you constantly need to be managing this mindset, which you have control over, but recognizing there's a whole bunch of external things that are going to influence you that you may or may not actually have control over. So being able to differentiate those, I think, is probably the middle ground that many of us can, can kind of find that thriving factor within. You know, um, in listening to you and what you're talking about, it it occurs to me that, boy, when you went down this avenue, there are a million directions that that you could have 
gone, that it would have been really powerful and valuable. And you chose to focus on leadership and vitality. Why? I'll try to give my clearest cut answer. (laughs) I think, so for me, I don't believe enough of us see ourselves as leaders, first and foremost. And whether you have a title of leadership in the role that you have for the work that you do, I think the more people who can recognize themselves as even leading yourself, putting yourself in the mindset of leadership, recognizing that you have an accountability for how you show up and that your behaviors are a demonstration of what's important to you and that people are watching that. I think when when more of us actually see ourselves as having the capacity to be a leader in our own lives and for the people who are important to us, I actually think that that opens up a huge amount of possibilities. So that piece of leadership is number one that, that drew me in. Number two, when you say vitality, this is really specific to me because for the last 10 years, I've been studying emotional intelligence and coaching and teaching and, and worked at an organization where we really focused on how pressure impacts people and, and how to grow emotional intelligence. And this is like emotional intelligence has finally gained ground to be one of those skills that like, this is a differentiating skill, like the great leaders, great team members, people who are most effective have built this skill. And yet, as important as it is to kind of build our skill sets with, you know, I mean, you are an expert in this within this constantly changing environment that is incredibly important. Being able to work with people and execute through people, that's incredibly important. It's just not enough because again and again, I would hear leaders say, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I should coach more. I know I was impatient in that meeting. I know all the things I'm supposed to do, but I'm just too tired to do them. And I think that we have underestimated and undervalued how important it is to build that energy, that resilience, that that capacity to fuel our skills of emotional intelligence and, and business acumen. So I think that's incredibly an incredibly important piece and it's just been too overlooked until today. And, and I, I see that people who breathe this sense of like aliveness of possibility into their teens and into the work that they do, they do perform differently and they feel more fulfilled. And I just fundamentally believe that we should be able to live a life where we enjoy the work that we do, where we can be the leaders that our companies need us to be. I just do not believe that we should be trading in our lives in order to do it. And that's why I really have kind of honed in and focused on this area. You know, I mean, I think that's so important. Back in um, back when I first started in, in corporate, I found this quote and I've hung it in my office probably mm. since I was in my early 20s, and it was, it was a quote, um, uh, I'm looking at it now, the master in the art of living is one who flows easily through between their work and their play, and because you, they, neither they nor you could ever tell the difference of what they're doing. Like, it's, it's just Beautiful. this natural dance where, where it just feels so comfortable. But I've got to tell you, in a marketplace where, you know, we are living in an uncertain environment, I mean, for the first time ever, we more that can impact our success is outside of our control. And I think as human beings, we are wired to make that, um, you know, for, for that to be uncomfortable. But one of yeah. my favorite things about today's marketplace is the fact that we have all this high tech 
things going, oh, you know, with globalization, you can buy anything in the world, blah, blah, blah. But at the with um, one tap. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. You could, you know, you can have a whole relationship, right? I could probably right. I could probably meet somebody, date somebody, get married, get divorced, and probably never get out <laughs> in front of my computer, correct? Right. Yeah. But it but I'm finding the things that are making people really successful, those people who truly thrive at another level, it's coming back to our basic human skills, as you said, our emotional intelligence. How well do you connect with people? I mean, do you think that, that it's more important than it's ever been? Oh, to me, it's indisputable. Like like quite, in in fact, uh, and it's not just from an opinion perspective, the World Economic Forum has kind of looked at what are some of the key characteristics that and skills that people need to be building. And, and emotional intelligence as an actual thing, I think, is, is number five on the list. But things like collaboration and effectively working with people and, and cognitive flexibility, which, believe it or not, are, are based in how we manage ourselves and our emotions and how we execute through, through people is so important. And people are tough. Like, like it's not to, it, when everyone has the same agenda and priorities and the same working style, we don't do the best work, but it's the easiest way to work. And so I think when we start to look at how do we do the best work and be most innovative and, and kind of thrive in this constant change, what becomes really important is that we have to recognize that we have to work with people who are different than us, who have different strengths and different skills and different styles. And that takes work and it requires us to build those skills of emotional intelligence so that we understand how we are showing up. But then we also recognize that not everybody's just a a clone of us. People have their own perceptions and their own values and their own beliefs and their own ways of thinking about things. So we have to find ways to bridge that gap. And that, I think, a huge piece of that is through emotional intelligence. Um, we're going to go. We're going to go to break here um, in in just a couple of minutes. But I want to ask you one quick question, and that is because you said a term that I love that I really have not heard that much before, and that is cognitive flexibility. Mm-hmm. Will you talk about that um, a moment? Yeah. So it, it, oh gosh, which is very different than being distracted. And I make the joke to people all the time. If you have your computer sitting open and you have 30 tabs open, that's not cognitive flexibility. (laughs) That is being distracted. So cognitive flexibility is our ability to switch ways of thinking and move our attention from, from one thing to the next thing. So, so a huge part of this is our ability to get into that deeper work without getting distracted by the IMs and, and the social media update and, and you know, all the different things that are pulling on our attention, number one. And number two, truly being able to have flexibility in our thinking styles. So you may sit down with one person who is, you know, I'll take just very generically, who is an introvert, being able to recognize we have to think and approach this differently. And then we go into a different meeting where maybe we have to think strategically, but we're with a bunch of extroverts who are all talking and wanting to be heard and being able to shift our way of thinking and approach in that. And that, that flexibility is, is 
a skill to be built, but it's hard on our brains, hence the vitality part, which we need to build the energy and give our brains opportunities to rest to do that stuff. Perfect. Well, we're going to take a a quick break. And when we come back, I want to dive into how we actually, how you really begin to help people build these skills. So join us. We'll be right back with more with Sarah Ross. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker, Meredith coaches executives, trains next level leaders, and builds sales teams in her innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is mere at valuespeaker.com. Again, that's mere at valuespeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. And welcome back to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how this marketplace changes. Well, if you have been with us for the first segment, or if you are just jumping in right now, we are in the middle of a fascinating conversation with Sarah Ross and the power of mindset of the brain. And we were speaking about cognitive flexibility before we um, before we took a break. New term um, uh, for me. But Sarah, I want to jump in. And we talked about so much in this first segment. Right. And I'm wondering to myself, I assume when um, I am born that my brain is wired a certain way. But as we discussed in the first segment, I can learn, I can grow, I can build things. Where does all of this start? Mm. So, I, it, so 
if I'm going to answer, I think I'm answering your question correctly. I, I, the first one is you, you've hit something that people think they know, but they don't totally believe. And this is this idea that even in old age, and there's phenomenal studies on this as we age, it's that whole idea of you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And it's mm-hmm. just not true. We are learning and growing our entire lives. And in fact, when we are learning new things and challenging ourselves and getting outside of our comfort zones, there is genuine positive benefits, not just to our brain health, but to our whole kind of healthy being. So, so number one. Number two, we're learning all the way through our life. There's this belief, even we're finding that there is information that it's always been your IQ is set. Well, some of the new research is demonstrating that that's not quite as true as we used to think that it was. So there may be certain elements of ourselves that are are a little bit more hardwired in, but we can learn skills to respond differently. I mean, take for example, people there's a lot of pushback and say like people don't like change and they find it very hard. True consciously. And yet we are unbelievably adaptive and we will adapt to our environments very quickly. And and the, and the best example of that is just looking at how we use technology as a part as like an actual part of our lives. Now it's, it's slowly changed our behaviors and that slowly changes how our brain responds to situations. So we have to be aware of it so that we can put ourselves in positions to change that in a beneficial way. But recognizing that we can learn through our entire life, I think is incredibly empowering for people. I I think it is too. And I think that it's, I think that it's amazing that, I mean, a lot of times we have a belief about ourselves. I'm good at some things. I'm not good at, you know, at other things, but that if you can get that mindset shift, you can be open to learning and actually being good at something that maybe before you didn't believe so. And so right. is, the, is the first step belief and a, um, and a, or, or self-awareness, like where, where, does it, where does it begin for somebody? So I, I could argue both sides that it's okay. like self-awareness and belief or emotions and then thoughts. But I think at the end of the day, there is, a, there is an element of can you believe that you learn and grow and change? And if you can, do you believe genuinely, shift your belief into the fact that people can learn and grow and change through their entire lives also. And and there is no better example. There are people who have gone through life-altering situations, whether it's an accident, in in grief, uh, and, and you see people who fundamentally approach and look at life differently after that. So, mm-hmm. so those, it doesn't have to be that, but it's proof that these things can happen. So I think number one is you really do have to, to be open to the belief of it. And then the self-awareness of where are you and how do you respond, number one. And it's not just you, how are other people experiencing you? And when you are open to feedback, which is, could be another whole show we can have right, a conversation right. on, uh, that piece of being open to feedback allows us the best, most catalyzing way to learn and grow and change because we're not always the best judge of, of how we are impacting people, but other people experience our behavior and, and they're really judging us by that impact. 
Yeah, I think that if you can, um, you know, the whole idea of, of getting feedback, it's um, the first one, the first time you do it is probably the most painful. But if yeah. you get through that first time, I know I remember mine was was just, I was just shocked. I had no idea I impacted people that way. But after that, I almost got, I still do to this day, get excited about them because they're telling you where your obstacles are. Right. And, and well, you know, yeah. And if you can master those, then you can push through. Th- and I, I got excited there. There's my passion jumping in. <laughs> so, <laughs> listening, everyone can learn to be a better listener. I am a work in progress. Um, but the you, But then let's hook that right back to the belief factor mm-hmm. that we were just talking about. If you believe, and there's a, an amazing amount of, of great work on this, Carol Dweck out of Stanford has stuff on a growth mindset and fixed mindset. But if we just take it down to the simple fact that if I believe I am capable of learning and growing, then feedback is just a tool to help me do that more effectively and get more in alignment with my values and my intentions and how I want to be impacting people. Beautiful. But if we believe that we can't change and we get feedback, that we're this fixed person and we have to prove to people why we are valuable and worthy and good, then feedback dents that armor that we put up. And it feels like people are criticizing our character and us. And that is such a tough place to be because if you are engaging with people, you no one's perfect. Like that ability to kind of build up our feedback tolerance and learn from it Oh, could help people so much, but you have to believe that it's your chance to keep learning and growing and getting better. Or you know, it seems like a threat. Well, and but let's talk about, um, you know, I think about the fact of, you know, what year it was when I got my first round of feedback versus the world we live in today. Yeah. And the world we live in today has gotten a little bit nasty. And, and a, you yeah. know, how do you, let's talk about feedback and feedback in the right context. Yeah. <laughs> so let me <laughs> such a big question so yeah. so is it is it how do people give it how do you receive it because I mean there's I, I, and I want to make sure I, I answer and I'll set this context I think that if we wait for people to give us feedback in a way that we want and that feels helpful we will rarely get feedback yeah. that we can learn and grow from And that's not to say that people aren't good at feedback, but research suggests we're not that great at it. We don't love doing it. But, but But this piece of like, I can only take feedback from someone I respect given to me in the way that I value. (laughs) Well, that's very narrow term. And, and it, you know, we kind of sometimes think like the world's thinking about us. They're, they're not, they're, they're, you know, they're, everybody's kind of doing what they need to be doing. And so I think that if we can start to take away the source it's coming from the, what the advice I give my clients regularly, whether it's from a coaching perspective or just general conversations, imagine that feedback came from your best friend who wants nothing more than for you to be phenomenal at what you do and love and thrive doing it. 
how would you listen? What would you pull out of that feedback? Because if you can take it from that perspective, then you can also decide some feedback's not good. And and like some feedback isn't meant to help you learn and grow. It's meant to kind of shut you down. But, But if we can open up to the information, then we make a better decision versus just shutting it down because we didn't hear it the way we wanted to hear it. Such a, such a great point. So, all right. So I'm following this path that, that, um, that you're taking me down and I am imagining I'm a listener out there and I am either the leader that we think about it in the traditional sense. I have people reporting to me and people I manage, or I'm sitting there as an individual. And, you know, as we talked about, um, earlier, you know, that everybody needs to see themselves in a, in a position of, of leadership. And I'm working in a very uncertain environment with a lot of pressure. And I've, and I've bought into this idea of, of self-awareness and gotten feedback. But yep. one of the things that you talk about that I think would be so powerful for everyone listening to this is finding passion in your work. And, and I want to ask a couple of questions about that. Number one is, why does that matter? And number two is, how help me, how do I find passion <laughs> if I don't have it? If the environment just feels you know, doesn't inspire passion. How do I bring right. that out myself? So th- there's two things. And let me make sure I, and don't let me forget to answer one if I, if I start with the other, because uh, I get passionate about this <laughs> idea. So number one, I, there is a part, and, and part of what vitality is for people, that energy that drives us, is, is being able to recognize why something's important to us. Like, why does it matter? Who do we want to be? What's, how do we want people to experience us? When we can really kind of find that why, as they say, that there is an element that helps us push through. Now, we, if we get too focused on our passion, then what can happen? And I often call these, like, uh, I call them my you know, passion workers, my mission workers. When they're so focused on the mission of what they're doing, the one thing we have to be very careful is that we don't put passion above well-being. It, it, I think that's the easiest way I can put it. Like, so when we're so driven, we can sometimes put mm-hmm. ourselves and our needs and our health in the background because we're in this kind of drive forward for the greater good. I see this in nonprofits. We see this in healthcare. These can be things that also lead to kind of overwork and burnout and all of these things, especially when you've got a bunch of external factors that are making it hard for you to, to kind of find that passion. So it gives us energy and we need to recognize that it's one component. It can't be everything. Number one. Number two, what about if we're in a job where we just don't have passion? And and there's some phenomenal kind of leaders talking about this and and researchers who have talked about this. And and I'll share, you know, this idea of job crafting is, is being able to step back and say, okay, this is the job I do, but what about this can I make? mine. And I think back genuinely, there's a couple of of situations that I think might be a bit of an example. When I was in graduate school, um, some of the work I was doing, I knew I wouldn't do it forever. I wasn't passionate about the work that I was doing. What I was, but the work that I was doing contributed to this greater good. I, I was, I actually at one point was doing some work in a lab where we were studying like water quality and, and toxicology and, and these algaes. And I was like, okay, that's not my cup of tea. I like people. But what, what that project was a part of was working with a group out of Kenya and looking at why so many water filtration systems get built 
but then they stop being used and stop being usable six months, 12 months later. And so the world feels good. We've helped contribute to build these water filtration units, and yet they aren't actually helping that environment thrive. When I hooked onto my small piece of work is contributing to helping people have clean water and live a healthy life, something that we take for granted here every single day, that that got me up at six o'clock in the morning to go run some experiments. Right. So that was number, you know, there's like, so when leaders can help create connections that your small piece is connecting to this bigger piece, phenomenal things can be done in that way. And I think there is another piece. I love my work. I get to do stuff I love every day. I'm blessed for that. Um, I see and work with lots of people who, who want to do good work and they are loving other things outside of work. And so your work doesn't have to be everything. You can find those, those side projects that give you energy and that you contribute your best stuff to. And so I think what becomes really important is finding something that you can contribute to. And then recognizing that you have a choice in how you're approaching everything you do. So it doesn't have to be work, but it can also be at work. You can look at what am I doing to add to the bigger picture that has a positive impact on people, whether it's their experience, their health, a product that they're going to buy, a lifestyle, a work style. You know, you as much as possible, I believe in not waiting for people to do that for us doing it and the best leaders help kind of catalyze that which is fantastic yeah and I always um I always tell people that when it um you know you're lucky in your life if you work for one or two really amazing Agreed. leaders you know more yeah. often than not it just it just won't it just won't be and I, what I love about what you're saying is that it's if I could get in there if I can figure out the why if I could even go yep. in and, and talk to my boss and say help me understand the, right. the difference that I make and the and the and the value that I that I add that that intrinsically just changes people I found it when I started studying um, employee engagement one of the things that I really found fascinating about about it is that the most disengaged workers I found in in um, in the U.S. were consistently over and over again were government workers, but the most yeah. engaged were nonprofits. Right, and and, right. And, it's, and it's very much the difference of the why. Right. Yeah. And, and and I think that is so critical. And I just it's in my blood. I can't leave it undone. I have to tap it. Find the why and recognize if you want to do that in the most impactful way, you also need to be able to have the energy to keep driving that important work. And so I think those two pieces really importantly have to be in place. Well, um, you know, we're about to go to break again, but but you've you've you brought up, you've, you've talked more than a few times about this word energy, which I think yeah. is such an important um, word. I want to talk about, when we come back from break, I want to talk about um, energy and I want to talk about uh, um, attention because I think that, I think, well, and I think, you know, in a world where, um, you know, in a world where we just go at 100 miles an hour, um, this whole idea of beginning to understand we've got to do things to rebuild yes. our energy and you're actually more effective if you're present. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think Good that... Topic. I, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also want to touch on, I want to make sure that we don't, that we don't leave this um, segment without talking about the importance of... Um, 
not the importance of, but understanding that there is a difference in stress, that yes. there's bad stress and there's healthy stress. And all these, every single thing you said, they all kind of tie together. So I, I think that'll be a, a great conversation. Okay, good. Because I think that it's important for people to understand that um, we are certainly not on this radio program giving you ideas for um, how to, uh, how to, I always think that people want to stop the uncertainty or make things like they used to be. And that's, and it's right. just not, you know, it's just not possible. What do you need to adapt in today's environment? Exactly. <laughs> and if you can get comfortable, I've said to people, if you can get comfortable with hard work, emotions, stress, and go through it and know that you can come out the other side, everything else becomes less scary because you then have the belief and trust in yourself that you have what it takes. And it doesn't mean that it always feels good and it's always comfortable, but you will learn and grow and you have the capacity to get through that stuff, which I think then decreases the scary factor of the uncertainty. I, I would agree, and you, and, you, and you truly become a master of it. So, all right, we will take um, one last break and be back with uh, Sarah Ross to talk about um, what you need to do, what you need to build if you want to put yourself in a position to thrive in uncertainty. So join us for the next segment. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell, author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker, Meredith coaches executives, trains next-level leaders, and builds sales teams in her innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is M-E-R-E at ValueSpeaker.com. Again, that's M-E-R-E at ValueSpeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. And welcome back to our last and final segment, unfortunately, with the 
uh, amazing Sarah Ross. Now, Sarah, you and I have just been chatting this entire time, even at, even at the breaks, and, um, and really talking about um, online, offline, about some important things. And I want to bring in some of the conversation that we were talking about at break and, and, and start you off with a question that I think sounds very simple. But, uh, but I, think it's, I think it's very important for people to understand, and with that term importance, just how important is leadership? Yeah. I, I wish I, if I could put a number on it, it would be infinity. <laughs> I, I do. I, I think this, not, I, I should even take it, I think, when we, when we actually look at the data, leadership has such a profound impact on culture. It isn't the only thing, but it is such a, a profound impact. And I think we can look at it in two ways. So many leaders are tasked with not only managing people and, and driving vision, but also doing work. And, and, and organizations will regularly, unfortunately, incentivize the productivity over the leadership. And what ends up happening is we have these incredibly underled teams that we're not actually tapping into the full benefit. So, so there's this piece of, of how do we take great people and, and exponentially build the impact that they can potentially have. And, and leadership is a key piece. And, and I always use this example because you've either been in this situation or you've seen this situation where there are some people that working, you know, within one team under a leader and they've kind of been counted out. They're, they're just like, okay, maybe they get some of the work done, but they're not, they don't have that star quality. And then they've moved to a, a different team. They're working for a different manager and under a different structure. And all of a sudden those same people are, are rock stars. Like they are, they're thriving and we're like, wow, I had no idea they had all of these, these strengths and these abilities. And they, and a huge piece of that is the leadership they're working within. And on the flip side, which I think is so disheartening when we see some you know, really fantastic people who are doing a great job and have perhaps moved to a different role and, and working within a different team and a, and a different set of manager expectations. And somehow that excellence gets, gets kind of smothered out and that passion is is lost and and so we really it's it's not to blame leaders but it's to recognize the importance and and, and I think that the other side of that is that we have slightly over glamorized leadership and what I mean by this is it's like everybody you you know I said it I think we should all see ourselves as leaders well what comes with that is responsibility and challenge it is it is hard being a leader. It is, it is hard recognizing that, that you are accountable for your impact. And what comes with that is we sometimes forget the responsibility that we carry. Uh, an example somebody used with me one time that I thought was, that, that actually fundamentally changed my approach to leadership in my, in my last role. They said, um, recognize that you are now a part, if you have five people on your team, you are a part of five people's conversations with their family every single night. Is that going to be a good conversation or a bad one? And just to recognize that, that I am a part of their day and their life, it, it scared me, but it also made me recognize that this is something I need to actually take seriously and learn the skills to do it really well because 
it is something that takes skills, growth, and development. It, it's not just something we know how to do. Right. Right. I think that, you know, in a world that is uncertain, um, the one thing that you can control is the people that you work with, the development of those people and how effective you are as a leader. And I think it's one of the most important investments that um, that business can make today. Yeah. And I'm going to piggyback on that mm-hmm. and I'll keep going back to, and your company may not. I think yeah. every companies should. If we invest so much in people in teaching people technical skills, we have to teach people skills to be leaders and work with people because that that is hard hard work. And if your company doesn't, we go out and we buy coffee and we, you know, buy things for ourselves. There are so many opportunities for people to buy a book, uh, go to a course, do things to keep learning and growing that they have in their control, which is always helpful versus feeling stuck and like nobody's, nobody's helping you. So wherever possible, take control of that, of that kind of destiny, I guess you could say, I don't want that to sound corny, but don't wait for people to develop you, start taking those steps. And then often companies recognize that as leadership potential, and then you are supported in that. It just, it just may not always get dropped in your lap the way you would like it to. Yeah, it's it, you know it's it's funny. I mean, we uh, you can you can really walk into a company and see the difference. You can almost predict who will be the future leaders based on the fact of who's taking initiative, um, you know, and who isn't. I, I do want to I, I do want to shift though, and I want to talk about. Um, I really want to do a whole show on this whole idea of. Um, of attention because we live in a world that is so busy and I feel like I need to be doing seven things at a time if I'm going to get anything done. <laughs> and how's that working out for you as Dr. <laughs> Phil would say? <laughs> right. So, so here I'm going to get, cause I, I want to, here's my most concise answer. Our brain is designed to amplify any potential threat or risk. And we started, you know, our show talking about our brain can learn and grow. And when people recognize what's going on with their brain, then they feel more in control and they recognize they can do things. What we don't talk enough about, everyone talks about fight or flight, and that's wonderful. But our brain when it is, there's a whole bunch of things going on, and especially when we're feeling stressed and our energy reservoirs start going down and we're in that mode of, yes, I can feel that I need to take a break, but I can't. I've got to do everything. That's our brain kicking in to threat mode. And it will awfulize and over-exaggerate the need for us to push through. And we lose our capacity. Cortisol is is one of the kind of famous and most important stress hormones. Cortisol helps this along because it actually impacts the part of our brain that allows us to put context to emotionally charged situations, to, to help us actually prioritize what's big and important and what's less important and truly can wait until tomorrow morning. And so the more stressed we get without taking a break, the more cortisol loads in our system, and the more our brain kicks into this this 
constant chronic high crisis mode that makes us believe that everything needs to be done right now. And, and, and you might get more work out the door, but research shows that it's rarely our greatest work. And I think we all know that. Number one. And number two, the way we are getting it done, we're not always the most pleasant people in the world. It's not always helping our relationships. And I mean, just think about some of the crummy emails that get sent back and forth when people are working at night. We spend more time in clear up and clean up mode than we do actually contributing to great work. Hence, But if we just just recognized, okay, 10 hours, my poor brain needs a break. And I may think everything needs to be done. But my gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful to connect with somebody and have dinner with somebody who we can talk about things outside of work, and I wake up tomorrow morning refreshed and ready to go. Just I, I hope people recognize your brain, you will never feel like it. You've just got to know that the self-awareness and knowledge is, here's what our brain requires. Uh, requires and here's what we need to do we just won't feel like it in the moment because we'll feel like everything's important I think that um, I always you know every time I leave the house I go for a hike or I go out on my mountain bike or something and yeah. I'll, I'll be stuck and I feel like it it frees my brain up yeah. to to come up with the answers and solve the problems I cannot believe we are almost at the end of this show. And I have a, I have a couple more things that I, that I want to ask you. Number one is I have a, um, a dear friend, a young, a wonderful, um, um, amazing young woman by the name of Camille Cashin. She is, um, uh, she is passionate. Um, here she is, you know, in um, junior high school, and she is passionate about mm. the brain. And I wonder with somebody that age or with any listeners that we have, what books, what would you recommend for somebody to learn more about this topic? So, and, and of course, here's what my brain just did. I've like, I can think of like 10 books, my brain stopped. <laughs> like, I'll tell you one that I think is is beautifully written. It's by, uh, and it just because it's called Your Brain at Work. Mm. Uh, and it's it's a book written by uh, David Rock, and he he founded the Neuro Leadership Institute, which is phenomenal. And it really looks at your brain and what happens in these workplace situations. So I think that's resource number one. Um, I, and I hope this doesn't sound biased, but the uh, company that I spent nearly a decade with looking at pressure and stress is the Institute for Health and Human Potential. And Great. I think they did some some. I am blessed to have gotten the opportunity to be a part of that as their kind of head of, of leadership innovation. Um, but we wrote a book called Performing Under Pressure, and there's some great brain strategies there. And then I'll call you in about 18 months when my book's done. <laughs> I do. You know, I, I, want, I will definitely have you back on. And, and before then, quickly tell people how to get a hold of you. Beautiful. Thank you. So you can find me at www.brainamped, that's brainampede.com, or at Sarah, S-A-R-A, J. Ross, R-O-S-S dot com. That's sarahjross.com. Wonderful. Sarah, I have so enjoyed having you, um, Thank you on this show. And I really would love to have you um, back again. And really, I feel like there is so much more that we, um, that we need to talk to. And you've been incredibly valuable, my listeners today. So again, thank you. Thank you for having me. And everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of Thriving in Uncertainty, the show where we walk you through the strategy, the things that you need to know to put you, 
your business and your entire team in a position to succeed no matter what this economy does. I hope that you will join us next week for another exciting episode. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Thriving in Uncertainty. Please join your host, Meredith Elliott Powell, for another program next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, embrace the change in your business and yourself.